0: Welcome to HEQ&A, the podcast of History of Education Quarterly. I'm your host, HEQ co-editor Jack Schneider. Every few weeks, we'll dive into recent work from the journal, asking authors how their projects challenge or extend what we know about a topic, exploring what's interesting and surprising about it, and then taking a step back to consider broader implications. In the second half of the show, we turn our sights to teaching, so if you're an educator, make sure to stick around until the end. And now... Let's hear from one of our authors.
1: I'm Shavante Mills. I'm a PhD candidate at Pennsylvania State University, and I'm the author of An African School for African Americans, Black Devants for Education in Antebellum, Boston. My article looks at parents and community members' efforts to secure quality education for their children in Antebellum, Boston. And I find that the community's education politics were rooted in Black nationalist thought. And furthermore, I argue that parents implemented their version of that Black nationalist politics in which the schoolhouse was a place where Black nationalism and citizenship coexisted. For Black nationalism, a definition of it is the process of creating a separate culture institution that celebrates Black solidarity and African heritage. And so the major tenets of Black nationalism are separation, self-determination, or self-sufficiency, and in some cases, voluntary immigration, particularly in the antebellum period. There, was, there were periods of voluntary immigration in conversations that came up around Black nationalist stop And so historian Keisha Blaine, she argues that Black nationalism can be fluid. And I also agree with that understanding of Black nationalism. I think that The Black Bostonians' efforts in securing quality education epitomizes this notion of Black nationalism and its fluidity and how it can be both conservative and radical, chaotic and evolutionary in ideology and praxis. So, we know the African school, later named the Smith School, was a school for Black children in Boston. And we also know that it was Black parents' efforts, desegregation efforts at the Smith School, particularly the Sarah, v, uh, Sarah C. Robert versus the City of Boston case in 1850, that kind of was the prelude to the desegregation effort in Brown versus Board of Education and during the Civil Rights Movement in 1954. So, we know that the Smith School has this rich, heritage being a part of this desegregation movement. However, I wanted to take a deeper look at Black Bostonians' Black nationalist thought in relation to their education politics. So I wanted to connect education politics to Black nationalist thought. And I thought that the schoolhouse is a battleground for justice and educational opportunity. I just really wanted to explore the various dynamics of Black nationalist thought in in its ebbs and flows as it relates to citizenship in the antebellum period. And so I hope this topic challenges readers to analyze conservative aspects of Black nationalist thought or Black nationalism in and of itself. You know, question, what does it mean for any strategy to be conservative? What does that mean? What does that look like? And I hope that in answering that question or finding the answers to that question, readers, scholars... Anyone can find that actually there might be some, what could be conservative could also be a radical tactic and strategy for whatever historical moment they're analyzing. When I was in the archive, or actually I was reading Sarah's Long Walk by Paul and Stephen Kendrick, and I was just baffled and fascinated that Black Bostonian parents in 1789 or 1787, they wanted to self-segregate. Like they wanted to make their grievances known about their dissatisfaction with public schooling and the integrated schools. And I just found that an interesting demand, actually, and I wanted to know more. I wanted to know, just if you think about it in this historical context, Black Bostonian parents and community members requesting a separate school just a few years after the state of Massachusetts immediately abolished slavery in a time where in a lot of Northeastern states, there was a gradual abolition and gradual emancipation in a lot of Northeastern states. And so for Massachusetts to, to have integrated public schools and these parents to want to have a separate school for their children I just thought that that was an interesting demand, and I wanted to know more about the decision to implement self-segregation. And so a lot of the main thrust of my questions was why did parents and community members prioritize a separate school over integration, and how do they continue to educate their children within their political decision? What were the ebbs and flows of that decision? So was there a turning point in them implementing Black nationalist politics and this notion of separatism to ensure quality education for their children? Oh, broader implications, I think, will be just thinking about how historical actors implemented Black nationalist politics and this notion of separatism without necessarily renouncing citizenship. And if anything, they use a schoolhouse as a place to demonstrate their citizenship and demonstrate their claims to citizenship, as well as quality education. So I want, that's a part of the broader implication. And then also, again, examining the conservative aspects of the more of, of Black nationalist politics and, and trying to find the radical aspects of it within what a lot of historians consider to be conservative. And just in today's time, you know, education is political. I think that's the main thrust of what I want readers to know is that the schoolhouse can be a political site and it has been a political site for years. And if we really examine and understand it, there's power in community, there's power in resources. And also, in this particular case, there was power in segregation and self-segregation. I would just continue to encourage people to recognize the the power in education politics. And even like this notion of trying to to stop critical race theory being taught in class in these schools, I think that that really epitomizes the notion of the, the, the power dynamics and this notion of control in education that is is actually powerful
0: the second half of the show is dedicated to thinking about teaching we ask authors to put on their guest lecturer hats and take students into the weeds what should they pay attention to methodologically speaking what else should they be reading if they want to take a deep dive into the historiography and where are there opportunities for further research
1: So I would want readers and students to focus on how Black Bostonians convened and articulated freedom and quality education. And I think it's important as historians or scholars when you're mining the archives to really centralize and prioritize historical actors' voices. And a part of that is if you're having some definitions, you need to make sure that those definitions that you have align with those historical actors' articulations in their historical moment. And so in the article, I would want students and readers to really pick up on that and locate those those things. And as addition to that, I would say, you know, when you find those quotations and those direct quotations from Black Voices, and Black Bostonians, I would say, look at the footnotes and see that those Black voices or events, they have different headings in newspapers in different, like the Boston School Committee records and, and various pamphlets. They, there's different headings and titles that seem contradictory or just seems like it's nowhere near in the ballpark of what uh, you would find with Black Bostonians, particularly parents' voices. So um, I would say that these differences epitomize the sense of work historians or scholars have to do in the archive. I would encourage students to just mind the archives and and read against the grain. So if you wanna take a deeper dive into the historiography, I would recommend two different uh, dives for people. So if you wanna know more about education in the antebellum period and even in the early republic, particularly about Black communities' efforts to secure educational opportunities or educate themselves. I would say read Cabrera Baumgartner's work. Um, She's a historian who really deals with the history of literary practices and literature um, and educational pursuits of African-American women in the early republic. So I would say really take a deep dive into her work. Uh, Leslie Alexander, Hilary Moss, and also Heather Williams, her work, Canonical Text, Self-Taught. That was something that really jump started my career in understanding Black education. So I would say take a look at her work. And then for Black nationalists, I would also start at the beginning, which is Wilson Jeremiah Moses' work, The Golden Age of Black Nationalism. And he also has a documentary or edited documentary collection um, where he just talks about this notion of Black nationalism in the antebellum period and the early republic. So I would take a look there as well as Keisha Blaine. She deals more with the 20th century, but I think she does a very great job of succinctly defining Black nationalism and relating it to like these diasporic movements and Pan-Africanism. And um, lastly, Russell Rickford's work, um, he deals more with like, intellectualism in education, but it's more from the intellectual history perspective. So that's his mode of methodology. And from there, I would just say, follow the footnotes. And you'll see who these historians are communing with each other or how they're communing with each other. And if you're reading my work, you can follow my footnotes and see who I'm in conversation with as well. So I would say if you want to further explore this topic or research topics more broadly, I would say focus on power dynamics, like who controls the school and who controls quality education, who controls defining that. That's something that will be interesting. I'm pretty sure I could have written this article three different ways. And I think the power dynamic angle is something that that could be further explored. Also, the interracial dynamics. So what's going on within the black community? Were all black Bostonians on the same page, as you can see in the article Some weren't. And, you know, like, when did this fissure happen? And so was the fissure because of segregation or integration? Um, this notion of voluntary I- immigration versus staying at home in the United States and fighting for education, equality, citizenship, the intra-racial dynamics. And then also, I think it's interesting about examining community space and politics. So delving more into what events occurred at the African school versus the Smith school or what happened in the church. And I think that will be an interesting topic to explore as well.
0: To learn more, check out History of Education Quarterly online. The journal is published by Cambridge University Press, and it's carried by most academic libraries. You should also be sure to follow HEQ's Twitter handle, at HistEdQuarterly, which regularly sends out free, read-only versions of articles, and the show's Twitter handle, at HEQAndA. And don't forget, subscribe to the show so you don't miss forthcoming episodes. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. H.E.Q.A. a is produced at the University of Massachusetts, Lowell. Our producer is Jennifer Berkshire. And our theme music is by Ryan Shaw. I'm Jack Schneider. Thanks for joining us.